I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Welcome back to the Electric Runway Podcast. You're listening to episode 113. Last week, we spoke with Mark Sunderland, an advanced textile expert, academic, and the founder of Hemp Black. Hemp Black is a startup on a mission to transform the textile industry by cultivating and carbonizing hemp. Carbonized hemp makes for a textile that's not only high performance, but also potentially smart and connected. This week, we're staying on the topic of textiles, but we're speaking with an entrepreneur whose award-winning product design consultancy brings imaginative and seemingly impossible projects to life for a diverse array of clients, from NASA to the Brooklyn Ballet. Rebecca Pales Friedman is a designer, researcher, and professor, as well as the founder of Interwoven Design Group. Interwoven is a New York-based innovative design studio specialized in wearable technology and textiles. Here's my conversation with Rebecca Pales Friedman. So Rebecca, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to be here. So for those who don't know, who are you and what is Interwoven? So I'm an industrial designer and an apparel designer. I'm also a professor at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, where I teach in both industrial design, uh, fashion design, and in architecture. And I do research in the area of wearable technology and space travel. I also wrote a book, so I'm an author. My practice is called Interwoven Design Group, and it's a design consulting and research practice. And I I started it in 2015. The way that I think about it globally, if you wanted to give me the bottom line, what do we do? We create connections between the body, textiles, and technology. I design products and research products that are primarily textile-based or a combination of textiles and hard materials. And we explore new and unexpected ways that bodies and emerging technologies and your physical, social, and cultural environment intersect and converge. Basically how people act and react in the spaces that they inhabit. And when I say spaces, I mean everything from the space within your garment to outer space. And everything in between. <laughs> yeah, and everything in between. That's fantastic. And there's so many synergies between the different topics that Electric Runway is interested in and covers and the work that you're doing. So it's so great to be speaking to you. Now, it seems to me that a lot of the most innovative fashion designers are architects or have a background in architecture. Why is that? I work with a lot of people that have an architecture background. And I think one of the things that in general that architectural education does is it helps you see a system from the beginning to end. I think industrial designers have the same sort of underlying, like an underlying philosophy. As industrial designers, we also look at the object and the things that we're designing and the way that people work with an object. I think the difference between architecture and industrial design is scale. Architects work in a giant scale and industrial designers work in a human scale. And I think especially for wearable technology and the things that I like to do, the human scale is really the thing that interests me most. How the human interacts with the environment and how the environment reacts in you know, collaboration or with synergy with the, with the human. 
Absolutely. And so to really bring it home for listeners, can you tell us about some of your recent design projects? A lot of our work is is completed in confidence. So with a lot of the work that I do for clients, and my clients range from large corporations to small startups, the work that I do for them has to be done in secret. You know, I sign a lot of NDAs. But I can tell you generally about some of the things that we do. So we've worked on projects for large companies on functional apparel, protective gear, and other types of soft goods. So the difference between regular apparel and function apparel is that your function apparel actually does something specific while you are wearing it. Whether it increases your mobility like in active wear, helps you swim faster, run faster, etc. Whether it protects you from harsh conditions in an environment. There's all sorts of different ways that your clothing is actually a tool. We've also worked on a number of wearable medical devices which I think is really exciting. So we help these medical devices can help patients in all sorts of different ways, increasing their mobility and their freedom, helping them deal with a chronic disease, things like that. And then we also do a lot of work with startups where we help them, like a startup will come to us with a business idea and maybe even a technology that's somewhat developed, and we help them bring their idea to a finished product. Also do some things that don't make money, which is like our work on visionary and speculative projects. They're more artistic. That would be like a museum commission to create a piece that poses a question. I had a piece called BioWare. It's a piece of wearable technology, and it poses the question like, what else can your clothing do for you? It's a fashion accessory and it uses biosensing and movement to help the person that you're with visualize and communicate your authentic human emotion. And how does it do that? (laughs) So it's a leather and feather harness and inside the harness is a heart rate monitor. It measures your heart rate. We wrote an algorithm that interprets your heart rate into seven basic emotions that range from everything from fear to joy to sadness and some things in between and then we equated those readings to movements in the feathers that you wear I mean it looks it's a very sexy piece and it looks really beautiful and it's it's like an accessory and the feathers move and the movements sort of communicate your true emotion so if you think about it, people are kind of experts at masking their emotion. This, this piece, it poses this question to say, well, what if your emotions were truly authentic? Like if people could get to know the real you without any pretense, but to do it in an abstract and beautiful way through this, this fashion accessory bioware. Yeah, and in a way, people have always used their clothing to communicate their mood or to put together an image of themselves. But this is very much along the line of some of the work that I've seen in the area of extimacy, externalized intimacy, which is something we've talked about on the show before, this idea of kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve or using smart textiles or wearables to outwardly express inner emotions. And I really like this play and the way that it plays in both personal and public space and the kind of back and forth. So you collaborate with a number of companies. Can you tell us about some of your partner projects? I saw recently on your Instagram that you did uh, some dresses for the ballet in, was it New York? Yes, it's the, it's the Brooklyn Ballet. I have a really ongoing collaboration with the Brooklyn Ballet, and I worked on wearable technology costumes that use fiber optics and motion sensing for the Nutcracker. It was a really fun project. So the creative director, Lynn Parkinson of the ballet, 
really embraces sort of a mashup of different types of dance culture and current pop culture and things that are happening in the in in the designosphere and brings them all together in this classic form of ballet in the Nutcracker and it's been really fun to work with her. Well, just along the lines of the dresses, it's interesting because I saw a similar style dress made of fiber optic that came out of San Francisco, and then I actually made one for myself for Burning Man, and I learned so much about fiber optics in the process of doing it, and to see it on your Instagram, on the videos, to see how it moves, it's just... It's such a beautiful material, and to see now this being incorporated into this traditional performance art of ballet is very exciting. Honestly, I took that project just for that juxtaposition. So the ballet costumes are made in a couture style, hand-sewn, hand-dyed fabric, all fit to each individual ballerina with internal structure, and then superimposed on that is the fiber optics and the technology, which... I just love that juxtaposition of the couture mixed with the technology. I'm currently working on a medical with a medical device manufacturer to help develop a wearable that will improve functionality of their therapy. And the idea is that not only will their device work more smoothly for a longer period of time, but the patient will be much more comfortable while undergoing the treatment. I love the idea of wearables in medical and health. I feel like there's a lot of white space for the patient experience to be improved. So I'm very excited about you know, that. I've also partnered with a prominent NFL team to rethink parts of their team uniform. Can't tell you more about that, but it will be out by the fall. I've also partnered with a large garment manufacturer. We are currently working on a patentable workwear garment that focuses on worker safety and comfort. There gives you three sort of different things, all in different areas that, that we're working on in the studio. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like your work is very diverse, like it's very focused, but it's also, it gets to touch a lot of industries, so it's a lot of fun from ballet to NFL. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's true. So in 2016, you wrote a book on smart textiles for designers. Can you talk about how you define the different categories of smart fabrics? Because I feel like everything is being called a smart something these days. Yeah, it's one of those elusive phrases that I think can define a lot of different things. And I did tackle that exact topic in the book. So one of the things that makes smart fabrics really revolutionary is that they can do so many more things than traditional fabrics, including communication, they can transform, they can conduct energy, they can grow, they can harvest data, all sorts of stuff. So primarily, my feeling is that when people think of smart textiles, they they think, number one, of e-textile. So a textile that combines electronics and fabric. So as the sort of the lines between computing and textiles blur, so do the lines between computing and our bodies. I think that's when people think of wearable technology, that's really what they think of. It's a process of, of evolving to a point where computing is going to pervade our lives on every level. And we're becoming very accustomed to being surrounded by these technological conveniences. Just think of how many apps you use on your phone. Pretty soon our garments are going to become mobile devices. Not every garment in your closet, but you'll have key pieces. Like I really see outerwear as a big opportunity for a garment that becomes a mobile device that will seamlessly connect us to our networks and our interfaces. Yeah, it's funny because as you say that, I have my iPad, my laptop, 
and my phone right in front of me here. So it would be nice to get rid of some of the clutter and have something that's more seamless and integrated and more like the clothing that we're used to. And especially here in Canada, if they find something that is, you know, heated and affordable, then sign me up. Right. So then that brings me, there's like two other major areas of what I call smart textiles. And one of them is performance and protective smart textiles. So this is like the highest level of technical fabrics there is, like in your activewear, is sort of the lowest level, the first level of smart fabrics. So for example, fabrics that are designed for moisture management have existed for many years, but the next evolution of smart fabrics with moisture management can sense your body temperature and react by either transforming their molecular structure to generate or retain or give off heat as you keep your body moving. I think that's really interesting. Like that's one level. And then the third area, so e-textiles, performance, and protective, and the third area, I call it emotive textiles. And these are textiles that trigger your sensors, whether they involve color, light, scent, or sound. So these are sort of beyond e-textiles. These smart textiles are also evolving to react to our environment without electrical input. So they use material science, molecular technology, and nanotechnology, and these textiles are engineered to act as an outer shell for our body that will emote and create a reaction for people, not just ourselves, but for other people seeing us will react to. Like the harness you were talking about. Yes, like that, exactly. Great. Okay. So, you know, when we talk about wearable technology these days, a lot of people say uh, wearable technology is dead. It's at the end of the hype cycle. But I think people like you and I are still optimistic about it. What products do you see in the market today that you think will have lasting impact? And maybe also what areas do you see for opportunity? You've mentioned the medical space already, but like, where is this all going? My feeling is that the future of the wearable wrist-worn device may be reaching the end of its life cycle, but I sort of take this much bigger global view of wearable technology. In my mind, wearable technology has been around already for hundreds of years. I think the glasses you wear on your face are wearable technology, and I see the future of wearable technology like as big with a lot of important things that happening. So I think the future of wearables is to become more integrated into the things that you already wear becoming part of your everyday life and that they'll do things that bring value to your life like monitor your activity, your health, your emotions, your medications, things like this. Things that that you now have to spend your brain power like doing will be automated and will be done for you. I like that. I'm I'm very optimistic about the future of wearable technology. And so what's your take on smart glasses then? Since you mentioned the eyeglasses that people wear on their face, we've seen Vuzix and Focals by North come out with a number of smart glasses that are actually layering on digital capabilities on top of glasses that look relatively normal. What's your take on those? Like the heads up display? Yeah. To be honest with you, I think they're transitional devices because I would like a future where I am not tied to a digital output, like a screen. I want to unleash myself from my phone, but I have to tell you, I am so addicted to my phone that I don't know if that's possible. I love having all of that information at my fingertips. So the next iteration of that is a heads-up display, something that's either projected right onto your eye or onto the surface of the glasses. And I can see a value for that. 
But w- what I don't like is I still feel like it's a barrier. So you know my my phone, when I go out to dinner and everybody has their phone on the table, my phone is a barrier to the intimacy of, of having a you know connection with another person. I don't see that the glasses are going to do anything to fix that because having spoken to people wearing Google Glass, they all look up into the up into the right. <laughs> and then I know they're not really looking at me and it's a little off-putting. So, I think they're a transitional device towards a future of something that's maybe embedded right onto your eye or a contact or or maybe maybe you just don't need something that you have to look at all the time with voice activation, maybe you can just find the things you need or have something done for you that's completely automated without you having to like stop what you're doing and Google that. I see like a hearable in the ear, for example, like we saw in her, right? Right. And I like that because when something is hidden, right, sound can be more hidden than something that's visual because so much of personal communication and, and intimacy is done through the face how you see somebody, how they react, what they look like, where they're looking, are they paying attention to you? You, We read, that, that goes back to Bioware, right? We read people's emotions through their facial expression. So I think when we really master this, we'll have something that's like a hearable that will prompt us with the information that we need or want, but it won't interfere with how we're connecting with somebody else. Yeah, that's the ideal experience, I think. So where do you think there's the most room for improvement when it comes to consumer wearables and technology on the body now? Okay, so I've been thinking about where do I see opportunity? And I really see opportunity for wearables, the most opportunity for growth in B2B. So using wearable technology to improve worker productivity and safety to rethink and engage consumers in a more responsive shopping experience, um, to improve health and medical interfaces, to improve mobility for people with chronic conditions. I, I really see that those are ideal areas for wearables that aren't about like, you know, a ring that answers your phone. I feel like the fashion accessories are a little faddish isn't a great word, but I do kind of feel like sometimes the fashionable accessories limit the benefit to the wearer, where I feel like some of these other topics where they're really focused on B2B have a longer impact on being able to work longer. I mean, we have an aging workforce. Maybe it improves the longevity of how long you'll be able to to execute your job, how safe you are on the job. There's a ton of room in wearable health and medical interfaces too. So that's really where I see the the largest opportunity for growth in the next, you know, I would say five to seven years. Yeah. And with the fashion accessories that you mentioned, not only are they faddish, but they, they didn't last. Not a lot of them lasted as businesses. I'm thinking of Ringley. I'm thinking of Wiseware. They were good-looking products. They were exciting for the fashion tech community because it seemed like it was a step in the right direction. But both of those businesses folded, as I understand. So Yeah, what, I, I really liked Wiseware. I thought they had a great idea. And I feel I have knowledge of that company. I've talked with them quite often. And I feel like one of the reasons why they failed was because the big tech giants... They don't really see a reason to have an open platform that supports small tech startups. 
And I feel like they got sort of stuck in between a rock and a hard place when either it was Apple or Google or Facebook, one of those big ones changed their internal algorithms. Yeah, and so that kind of leads me to another question I was thinking about when you were speaking before. What do big players like Google and Apple and Amazon and Facebook have to do in order for this ecosystem or this Internet of Things to work with the different wearable devices that are coming out? Because it does seem a little fragmented and scattered right now. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to pass on that question. I'm not really sure what they have to do. I just know that they're not really team players, are they? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Maybe, maybe that's <laughs> I don't know. the answer there. My feeling is, you know, it, it's it's like you're kind of making a deal with the devil because they're fantastic. You can't, I literally could not live without Google. But at the same time, it's like I live in somewhat of a low-boiling fear that my entire life is going to be co-opted by Big Brother. Right, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. I think a lot of people living and working in technology feel like that, and even people who don't work in technology. So you mentioned some of your prior work experience leading up to founding Interwoven, but I wanted to get you to talk a little bit about that because you have such a diverse background, including being an author and a professor. So how did you get to founding your own design studio? I was working corporately for many years. I was design director of really big companies. I was design director at Fila, at Champion, at, at Nike. And these are really design-driven, forward-thinking companies that spend and invest a lot of time in innovation. But what I noticed was in the fast-paced design cycle, there really wasn't enough time for true innovation. And what do I mean by that? I mean, like, innovation sometimes can't be put on a six-month turn schedule. Sometimes innovation and research takes a while. And there wasn't, there wasn't that wiggle room for, like, an internal design team to, to do true innovation. I also, as an academic, saw a gap between research that I was doing and any product realization. And I wanted to marry my research with product innovation and I thought if I stepped off the fast track and started my own practice, I could take on projects that would have, that would be like with my corporate experience, I could talk with my corporate clients and understand the pressures that they're facing. But as an outsider, as, an, as a consultant for them, I have more flexibility on focusing on an innovation that may take a little longer. And also with my research, I, I could see like, opportunities to bring research ideas into products without having to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I guess I am an entrepreneur, but you know what I mean? Like without having to have a tech startup. I see. Yeah. Like you, you could be, you could be that B2B kind of link between academia and research and what's going on in innovations in smart apparel and wearable technology. And then what's happening in these larger companies that want and need the innovation to stay relevant and you're saying you're doing this without having your own product but helping other people to build amazing products right I bring both of them together in the practice that allows for research innovation exploration and consulting work and all of those things are very interesting to me so interwoven was born from bringing these elements together fantastic and so if people want to learn more about you and stay in touch how can they do that 
Well, there's two ways. You can follow us on Instagram at interwoven underscore design. And then you can also visit us on our website, which is www.getinterwoven.com. You can sign up for our newsletter or you can just send me a DM. I'd love to hear from anybody. Great. We'll put all the links up on electric runways that our audience can link to you. Rebecca, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure speaking to you. That was my conversation with Rebecca Pales Friedman. She's a designer, researcher, and professor, as well as the founder of Interwoven Design Group. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever the best podcasts are found. For links and images from this episode, we invite you to visit electricrunway.com and click on podcasts. You've been listening to episode 113. If you want to send us feedback on the podcast or have a suggestion for future episodes, you can email me. I'm Amanda at electricrunway.com. I read every email that you send. You can also tweet at Amanda Costco for daily fashion tech information and inspiration. I invite you to follow electric underscore runway on social media. That's electric underscore runway. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, here's looking towards the future. Oh, 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 oh,